Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. When that happens, you need an anchor that is steadfast and it gives a stability to the boat when the boat's in a storm. So when the boat's being beat by waves and strong winds, this anchor steadfast will not allow the boat to be destroyed. So this is an anchor of the soul that is steadfast, and this was the situation here with Joseph where he was in the storm of being in the prison and he was not gonna be destroyed. And the reason the believer has this type of an anchor that's sure It will not allow him to drift away in good times and the steadfast will not allow him to be destroyed in hard times is where the anchor is set. The reason is because where the anchor is set, the anchor is set in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ on the other side. We can't see, we can't see. This is so interesting to go out into the ocean. We set an anchor, Clint, you never set an anchor because you're on a submarine. Submarines never anchor, right? But anyway, so when you're on a boat, you set an anchor. You know, you drop the anchor over the side and you watch that anchor. You know, you drop it over the front there and as the chain goes out and you watch the anchor and it disappears. It disappears. You don't see it anymore. All you see is the line that goes into the water, but you don't see where the anchor is set. You just see the line that goes into the water. And it's the same way with our souls. We don't see the end of the anchor lines where the anchors are set. It's hidden for us. It's described in Hebrews 6, 19 as within the veil, within the veil. The reason the anchors of our souls is sure and it keeps us from drifting in good times and steadfast and it keeps us from falling in the bad times because the other end of the anchor is in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's holding it. He's holding tight onto that anchor and he's not gonna let it go, which is what he said in John 10, 28. John 10, 28, where he says, I give it to them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He's holding the anchor. His hands are strong. He's holding our anchor lines. He keeps us from drifting away, from falling away. This is a strong anchor that's pictured as the hope of the soul. Which hope, Hebrews 6.19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. And what's seen by the lost is a certainty. What, What they see in us, it's a certainty. It's a confidence. It's a certainty in our souls. That's based beyond explanation. They can't explain it. And, and, and they may not agree that Jesus Christ is God, but they respect the certainty. They respect the sure and steadfast hope that we have as an anchor of the soul. Because the lost don't have this. The lost don't have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Instead, what kind of, but they have anchors of the soul, all right. They're just not sure and steadfast. But the lost may have another man or another woman 
as an anchor of the soul, someone that they've put their hope in and their trust in as an anchor of their soul. That's this anchor of the soul that's gonna give them the confidence. It's gonna give them the assurance in life. That's a weak anchor. It's a weak anchor that will not hold up because that person that they are trusting in for their confidence, their soul's confidence, their soul's assurance, it's gonna disappoint them in their life or they're gonna die and they have with the Bibles and they're gonna be disappointed. As the Bible says in Jeremiah 17.5, Jeremiah 17.5 says, thus saith the Lord, cursed is the man that trusteth in man and maketh the flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Man who trusts in man has a weak anchor of the soul. And it's not sure, it's not steadfast, and the anchor is going to become easily dislodged. Now, the lost may say, you know, like Paul Simon wrote, I am a rock, I am an island, okay? They may have their own self as an anchor of the soul to give them the confidence and the assurance. A lost person may be trusting in his own truthfulness, for example, as an anchor of the soul, like Shakespeare wrote, to thine own self be true in Hamlet, you know, and it must follow as the night, the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. Let's talk about truthfulness. Trusting in the truthfulness of man is not a sure and steadfast anchor. It's not a sure and steadfast anchor to the soul because the Bible says in Psalm 116.11, Psalm 116.11, all men are liars. And it says in Romans 3.4, God be found true, but every man a liar. And it says in Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. And the heart of man is desperately wicked. Jeremiah. So to follow Ralph Waldo Emerson's book, you know, self-reliance is to rely on a very weak anchor of the soul that'll become easily loose. Or the lost may be trusting in their wealth and their possessions. They may have a fat bank account and they see that as being, I'm set for years, I'm set for life. Just like the man the Lord spoke about in Luke 12, 16. Luke 12, 16, the Lord gave a very graphic illustration of this when he said he spake a parable unto them, saying the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully, and he reasoned within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have not where to bestow my goods. And he said, "Aha! Uh-huh. this will I do. I will pull down my barns, build greater, then will I bestow all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Fat bank account. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou foolish one, this night is thy soul required of thee, and the things which thou hast prepared, who shall they be? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The deception of a fat bank account is described as thou hast much goods laid up for many years. That's a weak anchor of the soul because a person can so easily be separated from his wealth as the richest man in the world. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs 23.5, Proverbs 23.5 when he said, wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings like an eagle that flieth toward heaven or death is gonna separate a person from his riches, and that anchor of the soul is gonna come loose. Or a person can even trust in nature. Yes, in nature, as the anchor of his soul. And he'll go outside and look at nature and say, oh, this is my confidence and my assurance. He'll take a hike in the mountains. He'll go down to the ocean, and he'll be in nature, and he'll say, I've got an anchor for my soul. 
This is also not a sure and steadfast anchor because nature through too much rain and floods you know, and fire and disaster and, and strong winds that uproot trees. You know, and so he will be separated from the nature he loves. Now, it's interesting that these last three false anchors, Job wrote about these, these weak anchors of the soul, when he wrote about riches and trusting in nature and trusting in self. Job 31.24, Job 31.24, Job said, if I have made gold my hope, or have said to find gold, thou art my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gotten much, that's the richest part. If I beheld the sun when it shined and the moon walking in brightness, that's the nature part, and my heart had been secretly enticed and my mouth hath kissed my hand, that's the self part. This was also iniquity to be judged, to be punished by the judge, for I should have denied God that is above. See, the picture here is of a person who's trusting in wealth for the anchor of his soul, and he turns to fine gold, Job says, and he says, thou art my confidence. You are my confidence, he says to his big fat bank account. The picture of the person who's trusting in nature is a person who goes out and says, ah, the sun, the moon. And the person who's trusting in self for the anchor of soul is a person who kisses his hand. He's so in love with himself that he kisses his hand. Actually, the Hebrew says this, most all the translations that I saw do say this, my hand hath kissed my mouth. This is not the literal translation of the Hebrew. In the Hebrew, it's the other way around. The Hebrew is, my hand has kissed my mouth. <laughs> and which literally brings the picture, oh, and the hand says, I'm so in love with what you just said. You know, a hand kisses the I, I can't make the noise on the end, but anyway, that's what it's supposed to be. That's the initiative of the hand kissing the mouth. Now, speaking of kissing, this is also how God described to Elijah those who didn't bow the knee to Baal when he said in 1 Kings 19.18, 1 Kings 19.18, yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. Now, these are kisses of trust in false anchors of the soul, and the Bible has one advice for who we should kiss with the kiss of trust. And that's Psalm 212. Psalm 212 says, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. So all these are false anchors of the soul that will not gonna hold up. They're weak, they're not sure, they're not steadfast, they're gonna become dislodged. And then there's something that especially reveals how unsure and how unsteady all these anchors are, and that something is sin. Sin brings to the lost doubts. Sin brings to the lost worries. Sin brings to the lost fears. All because there's no way to be forgiven from these things and no way to be cleansed. And so sin reveals just how unsure and unsteadfast the anchor of their souls are. When a lost person sins, he says, well, that's nothing. I can do that and just walk away with no consequences, just like the woman pictured in Proverbs 30.20, Proverbs 30.20, where it says, so is the way of an adulterous woman. She eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith, I've done no wickedness. I'm okay, you're okay. We'll decide what's okay. And that's just not true. That's just not true. In addition to bringing an immediate inner sense of defilement of the soul with an immediate sense, a feeling of guilt and shame, 
Sin also brings uncertainties and worries and doubts over the future, which is what Job said, I quoted earlier in Job 31, 28, iniquity to be punished by the judge. This uncertainty from the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul is what is contrasted with what we talked about, Colossians 1, 27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This hope of glory is not just a hope for the future after death, as we've been saying. This is a hope for the present that's described, as we've been saying, as an anchor of the soul that's sure and steadfast. And that's what the law see and what is attractive to them. And they saw that in Joseph. And that's what attracted the loss to Joseph with this sure and steadfast hope. Joseph got into prison and he just radiated out this glory of a certainty, this glory of a confidence. And while all the other prisoners are worried about their future and they've got doubts and they're full of fears about what's gonna happen to them, not Joseph, there was an emission, not a polluting emission, but a good mission, around Joseph of a confidence and an assurance. And that's what caused this prison keeper to get favor, for Joseph to have favor in his eyes. It's a challenge for us. This is a challenge for us. Because then we have to ask the question, do we, like Joseph, radiate confidence and assurance from an anchor that's sure and steadfast? That was Joseph. And the first thing that you see when you start a tour of the Creation Earth History Museum is you see three questions. Where did I come from? Is the questions. And what characterizes this world of lost souls is this unsure anchors of, they don't know where they came from, especially because of the lies of evolution. The next question, and they say, they say that, I don't know. You know I don't know where I came from. The next question is, why am I here? And they say, I don't know why I'm here. And the next question is, where are you going? They say, I don't know where I'm going. And so the whole Creation Museum is designed to be able to answer those questions. You know, where did you come from? Why are you here? What is in your future? And what the world doesn't have today is what the Bible calls persuasion. The world doesn't have a persuasion, a self-persuasion. You see, in Romans 8, a persuasion within, in Romans 8, 38, it starts off by saying, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second Timothy 1.12 speaks about this persuasion when it says, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What's this persuasion? It's a strong confidence. It's a strong confidence. It's a certainty. It's a certainty that comes from an anchor that's both sure and steadfast. This certainty was what the blind man had in John 9. The blind man in John 9, 9.25, when he answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. The blind man may not have known many things, but one thing he was sure of, one thing he had a confidence in, one thing he had a certainty about, one thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. There was a glory to that blind man's certainty. That blind man's certainty was like a glorious, bright light that shined into a world of dark doubts and worries. 
And this is the sure hope we're talking about here. It's not only a, a, a glory of certainty, which it is. It's a glory of certainty. It's also a glory of purity. It's a glory of purity. It says in 1 John 3, 3 about this hope and purity. It says in 1 John 3, 3, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. You know, we're living in a filthy, polluted world that just reeks of the stench of sin. It's terrible. In this last prayer meeting, we had a, a believer that came and visited us. He was just driving by, and he saw our church, you remember, and he said that he was down at Einstein Bagels down there. Nothing wrong with Einstein Bagels. He was just down there. It was explained to us. And he said he picked up a paper, and there was advertised in the paper an immoral resort in Palm Springs with the advertisement that said, come and sin for a day. That was what the headlines were. He was shocked. And really, they're advertising, come and become morally filthy, only it's not just for the day. Right? That's the lie. Filth remains after the day. And this is the world we live in. It's filthy. It's polluted with sin. And people are longing to see a pure person, to see a person who's cleansed. When a pure man or a woman lives in a world, they're marked as glorious, glorious. It's the glory of godly purity. It's a purity that emanates. And this hope doesn't just have the glory of certainty. This hope just doesn't have the glory of purity. There's another hope. There's another glory in this hope. And the Bible describes it in, in 1 Peter 1.3. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the word lively hope describes another glory of this hope. It's a living hope. It's a hope of life-giving. That's the glory of energy. It's the glory of energy. This is the glory of life. This is the glory of life-giving. It's an energy. It's an energy. When a Christian has this glory of life and energy that's just emanating from him, he's a marked man. He's a marked man. The world sees it and says, what is the source of his enthusiasm? Enthusiasm, the Greek word, and within, theo, God, God within, enthusiasm. What's the reason for this energy? And the answer is hope. In Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's the glory of a godly energy. The glory of a godly energy is described in Philippians 4.13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Really, a better translation of that would go something like this, taking the tenses of the verb. I can do all things through Christ who is constantly pouring his strength into me. It's a constant process where the Lord Jesus Christ is constantly pouring his strength into us. That's the glory of of hope also. The glory of this hope is described in First Peter, as we just said here, First Peter 3.15. If you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. That's an energy. Happy are ye. That's a Greek word, makarios. Makarios. And, and that's, the word, that's the word that they used to describe the island of Crete because it was thought that everyone who lived on Crete must be so happy because it's such a beautiful island. I don't know. I've never been there. All right, so they were happy because of the beauty of the island. So it was called makarios. So in other words, there is a glory of happiness, a glory of happiness. And this hope means that others are going to ask. Others are going to ask. Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you for a reason of hope. 
A Christian is involved. A Christian needs to be involved in conversation. A Christian needs to be involved in conversation with the lost about the Lord Jesus Christ. This was the great thing about the Christians in Acts. In Acts 5.42, it says Acts 5.42, they were daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They were daily ceasing not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. They didn't talk about religion. They talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. And they ceased not to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the greatest missionary church in the book of Acts is Antioch. And it says there in Acts eleven twenty six about them, it says, and they taught much people and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. They were called Christians. Do you think that was a compliment? It wasn't. It was a derogatory term because it meant, oh, these people, they cease not to preach and teach Christ. They taught Christ. They thought Christ. They preached Christ. They studied Christ. It's all about Christ. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all Christ, 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 until they were called, okay, they're Christ's men, they're Christians. It was an insult. It wasn't a compliment because their conversations were always characterized by Christ, Christ. But Peter goes on in 1 Peter 3.15, 1 Peter 3.15 to describe how we should teach and preach Christ. And it says, with meekness and fear, with meekness and fear. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. And there was no arrogance in the way they spoke. There was no appearance of superiority. There was humility. The secret of soul winning is conversation with humility. That's the secret of soul winning. Conversation with humility. And then there was a fear. Meekness and fear. Fear. What kind of fear? It's a fear of an ambassador. It's a fear of a diplomat. What is that? The fear of a diplomat, the fear of an ambassador, he has two fears. He has two fears. The ambassador or the diplomat. First, he's representing a government. He has a fear of not pleasing his government. He has a fear of not speaking honestly about from his government. You know, like recently we heard somebody said, you know, when I speak, uh, the president is speaking. When he speaks, the president is speaking. So it's a fear of not pleasing the government. The second fear is not to scare away the government he's been sent to. Not to say outrageous things. No one ever says that today. <laughs> okay. We are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.20. 2 Corinthians 5.20 identifies us as ambassadors. It says, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. So therefore, as ambassadors, we have two fears. One fear is to not displease the Lord Jesus Christ, who we represent. But our second fear is to not scare away those we've been sent to. And that's where the meekness helps. Witnessing the truth that the Lord is pleased with. That's our first fear, that we are a truthful witness. And our second fear is our witnessing that we might witness through conversation with humility that will not scare away the lost that we speak to. That's what Joseph did. That's why Joseph had this attractiveness that caused him to have favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the life of Joseph, and thank you for showing us in your Bible, Lord, how Joseph was able to be attractive, and we pray that we might also, Lord, please you and not scare away those we've been sent to. In Jesus' name, amen.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.